So, hi. Today is here Florian again, and I have today a new guest, so please introduce yourself. Hi, Florian. It's Kirsten, Kirsten Oppenender. Uh, I'm a managing director at Deutsche Bank in charge of innovation and design for commercial clients' business. Awesome. So, my first question for you is, um, what is innovation for you? Uh, that's actually an interesting question because I think innovation is such a broad topic. I personally believe you can, you can obviously find structures where, uh, structured ways to innovate. However, my previous experiences in particular with the change uh, in the ecosystem and technology is that it's more collaborative um, approach. So getting different people, different backgrounds, different industries, uh, different um, types of people together and have them brainstorm over topics. And then uh, I noticed that a lot of times you come up with really cool stuff. And obviously, the other part to innovation is it needs to be client-centric. You cannot just, like we did in the old days, put together a product where you think the client will love it and then end up noticing no one actually wants it. So um, doing the classic customer journey experience, focusing on client first is, in my idea, what brings you to the best innovative solutions these days. Awesome. So the Deutsche Bank is like a really big bank, uh, really powerful, but I wouldn't think on innovation if I hear the name Deutsche Bank. So how how is the experience for you to bring innovation in into the daily business or into the business itself? Mm -hmm. Again, that's a very mixed bag of goods, I would say, and there is a reason why you wouldn't probably see Deutsche Bank as so innovative, and probably that would account for some of the other banks as well. How come? Obviously, we have to cater for a lot of regulations. So if you look at some of the recent regulatory changes, be it um, the MIFID in the um, in the um, security space, be it now uh, something that sort of affects all of us, the new data protection laws, obviously we need to ensure that all our processes are aligned. Mm -hmm. Also, um, the kind of security focus we have on technology is something um, that doesn't make you as fast because today innovation always comes with the tech fast. However, Deutsche has always been known for its innovative product franchise. I've just been reading an article um, uh, about our new COO. And if you look at some of the products that we've been um, broaching um, already in the 90s, some of which still exist but are still state-of-the-art, you see a lot of innovation has come. If you look at the role we're playing in certain fields, um, mainly in the transaction banking space, for instance, you see innovation has always been a constant. However, what you would find now is if you look at our retail um, positioning, we come up with a lot more solutions that are modern, that are much more innovative. Uh, I've been discussing, I mean, we were just discussing about our InnoLabs, um, the innovation labs that we have across the world. Uh, we've been discussing yesterday at Bitcom around the ecosystem Deutsche has been putting together. And uh, someone said, now that he's understood all the different pieces, it brings a very nice puzzle together on how we're scouting the market, on how we're looking at potential to use new technology, new solutions within the bank, and then to bring that out. 
However, what we're not doing any longer is building those mega solutions. So we're really trying, like everyone else right now probably, trying the MVP solution first and then decide what we want to bring to market. Awesome. So how does your daily business look like? Uh, I get I get uh, uh, that question very regularly, and I have to admit I, I don't have that any longer. Okay. Frankly, um, I'm actually looking forward to tomorrow because tomorrow is probably a, a typical office day yeah, where I meet the team, where I get updates on a lot of the programs that are running, and where I sort of you know uh, tidy up everything that's been uh, happening. But if I look at the last few weeks, I'm actually traveling a lot. Uh, not the fancy stuff that everyone would now think, ah, well, she's out in the, in the valley and stuff. I'm traveling a lot to our branches right now. So we're doing our little educational days uh, with the our commercial client sales force. So bringing technology, bringing new solutions to them and letting them uh, literally play with new solutions as well. So that um, that takes time. Then obviously Bitcoin yesterday and today um, in between a lot of ecosystem meetings really. So what we're trying is whenever we have um, someone who has a cool idea, my team and I try to meet the people, understand the solution, see what the value add is. Um, and then obviously being a big uh, organization, you also have the mandatory stuff, uh, be it financial planning, um, be it um, governance uh, meetings, so all of that. But really no... Um, no standard agenda. So if you say, like, you see a lot of innovative ideas. Mm -hmm. So what would you say was the idea which most fascinates you or you most admire? The, maybe a startup or an idea? Um, I think that's a challenge because to, to name one would immediately, you know, discount others. What I find fascinating is obviously I see some of them more on the client side um, than on the, on the partner side. Some of them I see on both angles. What I find amazing is the um, the food startups. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at, um, uh, we have a couple there that we also broached at uh, Noah last year. I think it was when you look at how people take a, a, a completely known product and just uh, redo something about it. Yeah. I was probably one of the very first my muesli users in Germany, oh, cool. and I, I, I liked the concept from day one. Yeah, and um, I also, what I find amazing is the, the diversity. If you look at some of the founding teams, you have like, like literally kids, and then you talk to them, and they, they are so into their idea, they are so grown up already, And then you find very mature um, founders who, um, again, bring something completely different to the table. So it's really a, it's such a variety that, you know, it's, um, it, it really, it, the entire ecosystem is so amazing. And that's what makes it really challenging to then also decide what you do. I think the other thing is if you look at successful um, company builders, um, for instance, t take Finleap's story. Yeah? As, a, as someone from the finance industry, obviously, you can't be in Berlin not looking at Finleap. I find it amazing uh, about how they bring out the ideas 
and then how they they nurture them and mature them and bring them to market. And those, to me, are really cool examples. And then also having uh, gotten to know some of the founder teams, they are so professional. And that also, to me, is a... You have cool ideas, you have cool tech, but you also need the professionals, no matter where they come from, no matter what diversity they bring to the table, but that professionalism, I think, is what really, what I do admire as well. Yeah. So the next question, which would um, be interesting to know is, uh, you have a startup you really like, and you say, okay, that would be really helpful for Deutsche Bank, yeah. and then you approach the inside, the government's part. What is the strategy there, like to to break boundaries and to make things happen? Mm -hmm. That's actually pretty simple. Uh, the first meeting we had, you know, we have the so-called new product approval um, process, where also any startup cooperation needs to go through. Uh, when I actually joined the very first one, when I took the role, um, I was in a meeting and I had the feeling I had lots of hostile people around me. Um, and then they asked the first few questions and I noticed no one had ever taken the time to explain to them the entire picture. Yeah. So every single project goes there and tells them that they have the best project uh, product idea ever. Um, and then with all the bits and pieces happening right now, it's very difficult to get, uh, to get the big picture. So the first thing that I did is actually explain the big picture. I explained to them what, what I personally see where we're heading towards. Also explained to them, obviously, things are changing, so you can't uh, cast that in, uh, carve that in stone. But they got the basic understanding of where we're heading. And based on that, it was much easier for them um, to start understanding what it is that we need and to then uh, go through. Uh, also, I mean, my, my team uh, at, at times like, oh, we need to go through the process again. But frankly, I mean, number one, it's non-negotiable. Number two, what we found out when we did the first uh, startup cooperations, our IT security team obviously then uh, scans the partner. And for one of them, they found out that they had some glitches um, in, in the way they had set up their site. So we, we spoke to them, and I think within hours, they had that fixed. But that, to me, was a win-win situation, yeah. yeah. because, I mean, the last thing uh, you would need, also when it gets known that you're working with Deutsche, I mean, we've seen this with a couple of names also when they had the big funding rounds, all of a sudden, you're right in the middle of DDoS without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah? Um, so basically, those are the kind of things where I notice you need to talk to people, and you need to look, I mean, it's like everywhere else, you need to look at things from their angle. We had a very funny situation for one of the cooperations where the audit guys obviously told us, well, if you have access to that system, you need an audit trail there. Yep. Um, then the data protection guys were like, yeah, hang on, but that system is outside the realms of Deutsche, so uh, I don't want that to be audit trail because someone from the pattern could, uh, could uh, uh, think back to who are clients and who are not. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. So the good thing was the vendor had an audit trail, obviously, and they could switch it off. Yeah. So I said, okay, guys, 
I have it, I can switch it off, but there is no in-between, so you guys decide. And uh, obviously now we have an audit trail, and no, you cannot deduct uh, who's the end client and yeah. who not. Um, but those are the kind of processes that I think when the right people then sit together and discuss what the concerns are and what from a regulatory, from a data protection perspective are the right steps, you're right into things. Yeah, makes sense. So like the first step is always to um, make clear where they are in the whole picture of Deutsche yes. Bank and then you need to get the security yes. straight and then you're probably starting to testing internally exactly. with customers of you mm-hmm. and then like typical KPIs, like key performance indications, make clear how you go on. Yeah, exactly. So does the Deutsche Bank normally invest in the startups right away or give them just contracts or what's your strategy there? Uh, that's very different. That, uh, really, de- um, that really depends on uh, what the startup is about. Um, I mean, someone who doesn't need a funding round, what, yeah, even if we wanted to invest, they wouldn't take the money. That's, that's simple, yeah. Uh, yeah, then, yeah. um, if we invest, say, if we invest in any startup, that's okay. If we start investing in a fintech, obviously we're seen as a strategic investor. Yeah. Now, that is something that is, uh, that a fintech has to decide whether they are at a stage where they want a strategic investor, because then normally it's more difficult to get a hold of uh, the venture capital. So those are sort of the first trade-offs you need to uh, cover anyways. Obviously, if we do partner with someone, uh, normally we are checking whether we want to invest, because if it gets known we're partnering with someone, normally you would see an uptick in the, in the market value. However, there is areas where, where we believe, you know, um, in the fintech scene, say, um, there is limited reason for us to, to uh, go into things too far. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, from a certain percentage onwards, obviously, um, our internal processes would possibly apply, which is something that you wouldn't want in the very early days of a startup. So you need to take that in mind. And then there is stuff where we say, you know, we want a cooperation, but we're not investing. So what what I've been saying is from loose partnering uh, up to we're buying this, everything is possible. You know, we've done a few investments um, and we're checking it for almost everything that we're doing, but it's not something that's a requisite, uh, prerequisite. Rather, the opposite. If we have a cool target that we want to cooperate with, because we believe the solution is really cool for our clients, if they don't need us as an investor at that stage, that's also okay. Yeah, makes sense. So, if you say you're like cooperative startups or you work with startups, the main complaint you hear from startups is like, yeah, the big companies are too slow and too yes. complicated. <laughs> um, you're probably aware of this problem, of course. Do you have um, tactics or ideas or strategies how you try to solve this or make it better? Yes. <laughs> That was actually, and the reason why I can be so, uh, so really clear on this is. I uh, was at a conference last year jointly with one of our partners and on stage he complimented us on being faster than he had expected, okay. which already I think was a compliment and was uh, the guy is a re- he's really straight so he wouldn't have said that if he didn't believe in it. Um, why can we be faster? In part, and I'm not saying we're fast, we're not. Uh, we've changed the model. So we have a standard process now and we're piloting everything that we do. And if you pilot it and don't look at IT integration in the first instance, we can be much faster. 
Yeah, because you start uh, you start small and slow. So if we have a typical cooperation, we're sort of testing it um, in in some of the branches, and our relationship managers simply approach our clients if they believe there is a good case there. Okay. So you can get the feedback from everyone. You have the landing page of the startup, and then you uh, you see what kind of traffic you generate, both in terms of of leads and real yeah. business. Uh, so that helps us in the initial phase to speed up. Also, um, what we said is, I mean, I don't renegotiate the terms and conditions if I order via Amazon. So what we said is we have a generic contract, which I believe is a fair contract. However, it also uh, accommodates all the requirements that you would have as a regulated uh, bank. So that is the standard contract, and we're not negotiating that. Uh, that uh, in so the first instance when we did that, that sounded a bit harsh. Obviously, you negotiate the numbers, but everything else we're not negotiating. Why? Unless there is a reason why the other part, uh, because the other party is also regulated and there is something that doesn't match. We said in order to also provide everyone the same opportunity, this is the contract and you agree or you don't. So you also take the time of contract negotiation yeah. out of the system. Um, and then obviously if that thing grows, you can still uh, reconsider whether that's the right approach. But that helps us to speed up. And one of the other things, that's actually what I spoke about last night uh, at Bitcom, is one of the challenges I think the entire industry is facing is um, where everything we're doing with partners it has to be checked against outsourcing requirements. And uh, depending on what we do, say at, uh, we're using an external cloud or we're using a vendor's uh, API, that implies I need to check it. Yeah, okay. and uh, I mean, if you just assume that you're a pretty successful fintech or a cloud service provider and you have more banks as customers, you can organize tours, yeah, because you will have every other day the security guys, uh, the IT reps, uh, the rec reps of uh, your individual counterparts who are checking your systems because they have to. Okay. So one of the things that, uh, you know, we'd started, uh, well, there is a discussion at Bitcoin, fortunately, already, but that we started discussing last night as well. Why can you not have certificates, yeah, certified solutions that sort of have a regulatory approved stamp mm -hmm. where someone obviously needs to audit this? but not every single partner, because that would actually help not only in the initial due diligence, but also going forward. Okay, so the, the idea is like what you do to speed up your processes. Mm -hmm. you, you ask first your clients, just, just like that, get feedback, yep. and then you have a standard contract, which mm -hmm. probably says, okay, if this happens, we get this money, get this money under these conditions. And... And then the last step is that you're starting to integrate it into your systems. Yep. And before that, it would be a good idea to have kind of a standard certifications of the systems of the startup to make this process also faster. Because otherwise, you need to check into their IT and then figure out if it's compliance to the rules. Okay, cool. Awesome. So the finance sector has the interesting thing that like it's, it's changing right now really a lot. So... A big question is, what do you think where we are in five years? How does the finance sector look in five years? <laughs> If only I knew. <laughs> uh, it's actually an, an, a very, uh, very interesting question. And I think 
um, there is a couple of components to the question. Number one is technology. You look at technology standalone in five years, the question is for, for what normal people know as banking business, would you need a branch? I don't know. However, you also have the human component. And if I, if I look at what I see around me, is obviously the easy one is to look at the different generations. Yeah? Why would a digital native go to a bank? Not so sure. Um, in the earlier generations, what I've been noticing a lot is you have people who don't trust technology, yeah. who are concerned about data protection, security. I mean, money, in particular in Germany, I think, money is, number one, something you don't talk about, and number two is something you're pretty particular about. Um, and then you have those who are not as tech-privy, but who don't want to uh, sort of confirm that and who pretend that they have data protection concerns. Okay. So to me, you have quite a lot of people out there who would still bank in the traditional ways. Yeah. So I think the challenge to banking, number one, is uh, in particular if you're a premium brand, you need to cater for different channels for different people. Yeah. And probably also for a digital native, let's just assume the odd one out there eventually still does want to buy a house uh, or a flat. That may happen. The question is, would you really want to do such a huge investment online? Some would, and others would probably at that point appreciate the personal interaction. Yeah. Um, and based on that, what I, what I think is what is important and what you would find in five years. Number one, you will have hopefully more platformication because uh, having 10, 20, 30 different apps to cater for your financials doesn't sound a really compelling case. Yeah. So number one, you would probably find one, two, maximum three different platforms um, that cater for your financial needs. And that's on the retail space. I think once you start looking into commercial clients' business, that will again look different. You will absolutely, in five years' time, I'm very convinced that's the case, you will still find branches. They will, and you, you notice that already, they will continue to look different. So you will have more of the lounge, um, of the, the open, transparent character that you start seeing in order to take the, take the, um, sort of the distance away. Uh, when you look at banking 25 years back, um, banks were from the outside already looking very safe, very, very like castles literally yeah. Yeah, because obviously they were holding your money needed to look safe now it's all very glass light yeah. open i think that trend will continue if you look at our quartier zukunft you don't really notice you're in a bank but still you can get bank advisory over a coffee you can browse around yeah you can buy stuff if you like i think that's more of the concept you would find okay. um and then obviously the other question is what does regulation actually allow us to do how does that play into things where do you actually need physical contacts yeah what about registration yeah if you open an account today um, either you do video legitimation or the good old uh, uh, post uh, ident um, stuff all of that still holds true and unless that changes you would find a lot of those processes still i think yeah definitely good point Another thing which is really fascinating for me is to see that it's 
it seems to me it's like really important about platforms in the future. So like it seems like that like for example WeChat in China, which is like a huge um, chat messenger, they included payment in their system and they are now standard in China. Same with Amazon, they so they push into your industry. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think about that? Like could be this a threat or what what is your thoughts about that? We always get asked whether we're concerned about fintech. We're not. We're cooperating, uh, and very rightfully so. We have the the big customer base. We have the trust base still. Um, so that that's a tick in the box. And I, I think the fintech started to look at it the same way. On the big tech side, and that I would say holds true for GAFA and everything you now see from China, uh, that's a different story. Why? Because they have the money and the resources to just buy into a market. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of uh, noise around PSD2 on how banks are now losing their data, la 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 mm. la. Number one, it's the client's data. And number two, PSD2 also uh, ensures that um, if you want to enter a market uh, for precisely what you were just indicating, at least you need basic um, regulatory steps. Yeah. So I think that's number one where regulation does protect us in a way if you wanted to ask for protection. Number two, again, is what I said on data protection and um, what the client actually wants. Uh, I'm not so sure if you ask people in uh, Germany, and that's our key market on the retail space, obviously, whether they wanted to pay with WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, to take the more classic German approach. And what you would probably find is, I, I would guess this at one third would, and two thirds would ask you whether you're like raving mad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for WeChat, I would assume right now uh, that would be even stronger yeah. uh, on the what, really. Um, so basically, uh, is it a threat? Yes, absolutely. It's one of the reasons why we're actually looking into um, stuff like instant payments, why we've uh, been amongst the founding partners of Verimi in order to start putting together secure but simple platform solutions that can provide um, the same service but literally really um, provide that in a much more secure and regulated environment. Yeah, makes sense. So we talked a lot now about like how we see the future in five years. What are your goals for the next year? For the next year, that's actually um, pretty simple. You mentioned fast. Yeah. Um, we need to be faster, in particular internally in delivering stuff. So we have quite a good roadmap now. I want to deliver that jointly with the team. Then obviously... I need to do that in, in times of uncertainty. You were pointing out at all the risks out there. I think that's new for banks. Yeah, if you look at um, the banking industry, challenges really started um, in the last uh, decade um, with the financial crisis. Until then, it's been recently, uh, it's been in general pretty stable. And now all of a sudden we have competition where you would have never thought you would have competition. So that's, that's the, the piece you need to sort of ensure you're focusing 
and you're speeding up. And the other thing is obviously also internal reasons. Uh, you would know that we're uh, close to um, the internal merger with Postbank. So obviously um, quite a lot of the internal structures will uh, most likely change. So we need to focus uh, on delivering the roadmap, keeping the team focused uh, while knowing that things around us for, um, for the next uh, years will constantly change. And what you do see is there are some people who embrace change, but there is a lot of people who are worried about change and to embrace that culture that change is positive uh, and that ahead, uh, that, you know, it's what brings us forward to embrace that into the team is one of the other goals that I have for the year to come. How do you make this sure? Like the first question, how do you make sure that like you get this culture into a bank, which is probably not used to, to change and say, hey, let's try that, that, that. And the second question is, how do you make sure that like you got the speed mm -hmm. inside? This was a more startup thing than yeah. like a big company thing. Yes. Um, I think it's, it's focus and it's constant repetition. Yeah, um, the good old uh, proverb, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. um, unless you do what you expect from others, you're not seeing that. And you need to be resilient. Now you have days, or I have days, so I'm like, ah, oh God, why is, it, why is it so challenging? But then you have, you have days where you see that, that it pays off, that you get positive recognition, that you see that someone is really adjusting their ways. So it's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it takes a lot of communication, which is something that in parts, and that's the challenge we have, as the more you then communicate to the team, um, the, and the more examples you build, uh, you still need to focus also on the delivery. So it's a constant, um, you know, you, you need to see that you get stuff done. Yeah. And on the speeding up thing, again, it's also focus. You, get, you need to get senior management behind you. And once you have uh, something that is on the broad agenda, we're pretty good in delivering. Yeah, it, it just takes a while for it to get the green ticks so that it can get delivered. Do you have a special tactic on the company level, how you do this? Like, do you do agile methods or how, how do you make sure that these things, what you said, happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, we um, we have actually moved um, at least front-end technology to Agile. Okay. Um, so we have the uh, so-called digital factory uh, on the outskirts of Frankfurt for, I think, one and a half years now. And um, there the teams already work in Agile and Scrum. Some of the methods we actually um, already like, like the morning huddles and stuff, we, we already adapted also um, along the business line. What we uh, also um, did is, because you can't say front-end tech is agile and back-end tech is not, yeah. Yeah, you're also then not attracting uh, junior talent there. Um, what we did is, uh, for new programs, they can pick and choose. So yeah. we have a loan platform uh, program now, which normally cries waterfall. Uh, the team has agreed that um, they do as much agile as they can. Yeah. And the IT team then drives and says, from here on, we need the good old requirements doc, but we do it jointly, and then it gets into waterfall delivery. That's actually an interesting concept. Yeah. And uh, what we noticed is you, you have teams that pretty much want it the old way, 
And right now we're leaving people the freedom. You can't force someone on programs where it's challenging to use one method over the other. Yeah. So we have areas where it's very clear what you have to do. But in the, in the gray areas, we let the people decide. And that's actually quite successful. And then obviously also we're running change programs. Yeah. So we have a digital academy format where we do a two-day ecosystem accompanied um, by day-to-day challenges so that you really have a, um, a theme at the end of the two days to get to know how Agile works and to understand new ways of uh, collaboration. But frankly, it takes time. And then if you look at, um, at, again, the banking industry and also the position Deutsche has right now, you see you need to ensure, again, that you're not losing focus. So we can't just afford a 100,000 people uh, change program yeah. as it needs to come from every individual manager. And it's one part on the management agenda is not the only one. But Agile and Scrum are very high on our agenda. Okay, cool. So, the next question is a bit more different. So, if I am new at the Deutsche Bank and I want to become managing director, yes. what I need to do? <laughs> Work. <laughs> and I've been thinking about this. Uh, fortunately, that was uh, one of the heads-ups that I had. Um, I think you need to... It's actually pretty pretty simple and obviously it will change over time because leadership styles will also change. But I think the basic is you need to perform. You have to do a good job and your interaction with the company and the people around you needs to be a win-win situation, needs to be give and take. Now, what I, what I noticed in the past is um, people perform and then they think they have all the rights in the world and no obligations any longer. That's not the case. You also have people who want um, all the rights in the first instance before they performed. That doesn't fly. And you need to be resilient. There will be pushback on your way. Um, there w you need to be resilient. You need to... Um, there is this German uh, saying, um, uh, hinfallen, aufstehen, krone richten, weitergehen. Okay. Um, so you need to really... Um, say okay the, um, mistakes will happen you will have an environment where you're saying well pff, that's not really how I would like to um, to continue then change it yeah but be resilient don't give up and just you know continue in your way um, lifelong learning obviously is an easy one and you need to be flexible there is um, we're talking a lot about career paths yeah And frankly, um, had I stuck to the, in the old days, there were career paths. Had I stuck to the one that was laid out for me, if, I, if I'd be a very good, very happy person and some change around me, I would probably run a small branch uh, in Nordrhein-Westfalen now. Okay. Well, not sure that would have been what I wanted, but that's what I, what I could have yeah. done. Um, and what I personally believe is um, there is only so much organizing a career there is also a going with the flow okay and once you know you're very good into your job it's time to move on okay you need to also foster that change in your career if you just continue on with your role and enjoy that you know you know what's happening you have your routines then it's a good time to move on and that doesn't say leave the company that implies move within the company a huge internal labor market 
and um, there is lots of potential for literally everyone. So can we go there more specific? So we say uh, we got into a role and we got in comfortable in it. And how you approach then the next step? If you mm -hmm. say, okay, if you're too comfortable, you should probably push for the yeah. next challenge. How do you do that? Like, how do you do it in a big company? Mm -hmm. Yep. I think big companies are easier on this one than small ones. Um, you have regular performance uh, reviews with your boss. And in my case, frankly, I've always been very fortunate that I had interactions with my bosses. We agreed that it would now be a good time to move on or that they even approached me and said, listen, here is this new role. We need someone like you on this. Okay. And if none of the two actually happen, you can still apply in the internal labor market. You then interview like you would um, if, you're, uh, if you were um, hiring externally. And uh, you then agree on um, on moving to a new area. Obviously, that you need to uh, communicate well also to your existing manager. And then what we have is, in order to make this a fair deal for everyone, um, you can leave your old job normally after latest three months. Okay. If um, your replacement can be uh, found earlier, you can even move earlier than that. But three months is the norm, so yeah. that no one gets stuck um, because you, you tend to, I mean, things have been changing, but you still have different types of managers and some managers like to stick to what they have versus others who let good people go. Um, also, like, do you more vision the end goal or do you go really more with the flow and like with um, chances which come up? Uh, frankly, in, in, you need to look at chances. Okay. Everything else, frankly... Uh, when I when I joined the bank, um, people told me there is nothing um, here that's really constant. And if I look back at the branch where I where I started my apprenticeship, things are so different now. Had I thought about a fixed plan, that would have been completely destroyed probably two or three years later. Okay. So I think it's really looking at chances. Building your network is important. Yeah, so that you have people around you who know you, who know how good you are, and who also approach you um, and say, listen, I have a um, vacancy to fill in my team, would you be interested? Yeah. And that actually, uh, in my team, that always sounds so junior, that can be on, on literally every single level. Uh, take, take me two years back, I was working one, for one of our management board members, who then um, unfortunately left the bank. I yeah. uh, helped uh, move his office um, over to his um, successor, and then the agreement was, um, that's it. Yeah. So obviously everyone said, well, you're doing a cool job, we want to stay, you. we want to have you stay. But I mean, a matter of fact, um, I needed a new role. And then literally one day after the Christmas break, my phone rang and my now boss called me and said, listen, I have a job offer, would you be interested? Yeah. Yeah, so this is how it can play. Had he not called, maybe I would have found something uh, different internally or would I, I would have found something externally. And I think that's the other thing. You also have to have your, you have to have your plan B in place. Yeah. And plan B is one that you have internally and one that you have externally. Yeah. But again, resiliency, don't just leave because today was horrible. Uh, leave after a couple more days, weeks, and months have been horrible. And before you leave, think about how you can change it from horrible to great. Yeah, makes absolutely sense. Um, would you say 
it was it's different if you're a woman or a man what, what is your perspective on that <laughs> uh, well I, I think in parts it's easier in parts it's more challenging okay um, I I mean, it was funny. I had a, I had um, like like a workshop on group dynamics like ages back when you were still doing this stuff, um, and then uh, there was something and feedback on the team, and then someone looked around and said, "Ah, yeah, it's obvious. We we only have two women in the round." And then the the other woman and I looked at each other and said, well, that's probably one of the first meetings where we do have two women attend. Normally it's only one. So I come from that era, really. Um, And what I keep telling young women is you need to... Women are still different in business. Yeah, Yeah, when I attending a conference last night and um, amongst the speakers was another woman and we immediately met each other and congratulated ourselves on the choice of color because we were both pretty colorful, else the room was pretty dull in grays and blacks and blues. Um, Why do I say that? Um, No matter what we do, um, you have a different type of, um, you know, uh, stereotyping women. Yeah. I mean, the, the, if you take our two last chancellors, um, I mean, think about uh, obviously again that's way back. Uh, the discussion around his hair and his suits was probably yeah. the first time ever someone was commenting um, on the physical presence of a chancellor. Yeah. And then when Angela Merkel took over. Everyone in this country uh, decided they had to discuss hairstyle, makeup, choice of clothing, please. But that's the environment we're operating in, so people still do notice. And then you need to decide um, on how different you want to be. And I think uh, if you want to play the gender game right so that you actually take the merits of mixed teams... Women can't be the better men. That's what you had in the 80s and 90s. Senior women tended to interact precisely the same as their male colleagues. Yeah. Now, that doesn't imply diversity. That's just playing roles. Yeah. Um, so we need to be different. But you cannot insist too much on being different. Then you're, you're sort of left out. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I come from, uh, from a home. My, my dad, fortunately... Um, is a is a great football player so okay. football was something that i grew up with and i'm i'm a big fan of cars now if you talk cars and football obviously and you go out with the guys in the pub in london and you drink beer at least for starters you you're not so different and yeah. i think you, no matter which kind of diverse uh, background you always need to make at least one step towards the other yeah. being too different is a challenge yeah um, and I think women need to cooperate more. Some of us have understood this pretty well, but you also have that fight amongst uh, women where I think, well, we don't need that. Yeah. So you say, like, just don't be little, too different, but yeah, be yourself. Exactly. Like, take a little step in this direction, but keep your uniqueness yes. there. Yes. That's cool. That's um, how, do, how do you educate yourself? Not enough. <laughs> uh, no, frankly, uh, eventually, the, uh, the one thing that I would probably like is one or two hours more per day. Um, actually, education, I noticed that the easiest way to me is um, 
personal interaction with others. Okay. So um, I learn a lot by simply touring the ecosystem sounds so so fancy it's not by talking to different startups learning about tech looking at options talking to our internal teams um, obviously I also do read not enough um, but obviously with a role like I currently have you you just cannot perform that without reading yeah however I'm someone who's easily bored by two dull management books yeah. so that's the one area where I do appreciate the American style of uh, writing um, in particular management help books yeah. uh, it's always over stereotyped but it's far easier and more entertaining to read so I do that Obviously, I have a lot of blogs now that uh, that I that I get very regularly, just so that uh, in the wealth of information you get what you need. Yeah. I spoke to a um, to a consultant the other day who has a similar role, who said, frankly, he tries to read every single minute that he has, but still, every now and again, colleagues approach him and say, "Ah, oh, did you see this? Have yeah. you heard that?" Look at what's happening around us. It's virtually impossible to. Um, to um, keep track with everything. So it's really having a network also where you're sharing information. My team distributes stuff, the ecosystem distributes stuff, I distribute stuff. I think, we, again, it's a mixed bag of goods. It makes absolutely sense. So what's your favorite blog and what's your favorite book? <laughs> wow. Um, favorite book is difficult. I was you can do favorite books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, favorite book, I would probably say Kindle. <laughs> I was one of the very first in Germany um, who had one because I read so much. Favorite books, um, I'm a huge fan, I have to admit, of something that's, uh, that, that probably everyone thinks, oh, please, I love crime books. No matter okay. what, starting, you know, with what is now obviously hip in Germany, those local um, crime scene books yeah. up to American um, very known um, authors. So all of that, any time of the day, I love. Okay. Other than that, um, I'm a big fan of um, U.S. management help books. Okay. Um, and I've, I've just been looking at them, uh, the One Minute Manager series from Ken Blanchett I really really like okay. and one that has helped me tremendously is the Minute Manager Meeting the Monkey okay. um, so that was more a um, help book obviously yeah. again very much um, over stereotyped but pretty helpful and then obviously you find a couple of books um, around the valley that, that I find fascinating yeah. so what is the book around the valley example? Uh, what I really liked um, is um, Silicon Germany Okay. Um, because a lot of stuff in there that I think if uh, German companies take that seriously will help us not coming from an engineerial stand but really coming from the client stand in order to develop future technology not in the, in the fintech sector say but really um, in, in every aspect of life Awesome, and now favorite blog? Uh, favorite blog right now, frankly, everyone say please, but I love Finance Sena right now. Okay. It's sort of the, it's the one thing every morning, even though uh, it feels a little bit like our own news update because Deutsche has been featured pretty regularly there, but it's, it's like a cool overview, so I like that, and it um, sort of helps seeing what has happened overnight um, and is a good prep for the day. 
Awesome. So my last question is, um, if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell her? Relax and calm down. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it's, um, you were asking the MD question. If you ask me, that was never, ever in my plans. I okay. haven't gone to university. That's probably the other thing that I would have told me, uh, you know, finalize something. Uh, well, I did eventually, but I, I don't have a university degree. That's something that I do regret. Everyone okay. else finds that. Hmm? But still, I do regret it. I should have done that. Uh, but it's really the calm down and relax. And that's something yeah, I've always been... I've never seen the career piece. No one uh, who's seen me act has believed that. But to me, it was always the I need to get the job done 100%. Yeah. And now I'm not saying I shouldn't have done the 100%, but there is life um, outside of the 100% job perfection. And that's something where thinking back, I think some of the uh, more relaxed inner self that I have today would have done me good in my 20s. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And see you next time, guys.